The following message was given by Nick Kidwell, the senior pastor of Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. Oh, it's good to be, it's really good to be together this morning. Uh, It's a joy coming together. I've looked forward to, again, we had our, our new members class this weekend and just getting to talk about the church and the joy of coming together and worshiping God together, it just stirs my heart and affection and anticipation for meeting together and what God will do through us. So we're continuing on now in our Matthew series. We've been in a, uh, a series going through the Gospel of Matthew for a while now. Last week, we had the privilege of meditating together on the transfiguration A moment where the glory of God was on display through Jesus Christ. We were reminded of the magnitude of Christ's being. Not just a man, but the God-man. We were reminded that when we see Jesus, we see God himself. And now this week, coming off of that mountaintop experience, we're confronted with a harsh reality. We're reminded that though God is glorious, that Christ is glorious, we as people are so often so slow to believe in him and so weak in faith. We need his help. So please turn with me, if you would now, to Matthew chapter 17, where we'll be reading verses 14 through 21. And again, this in all of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this occurrence here with uh, the healing of this young man with a demon occurs right after the transfiguration. So this took place right after this event, and the Lord has something to say because of that. Let me pray for us before we read. Father, we need your spirit. As we're going to talk this morning about faith, we need faith to believe your word. We need faith to receive your word. We need eyes of faith to see, ears of faith to hear. So we pray that you would do that for us this morning. Be with me. Uh, help me to communicate effectively your truth. Guard us from error. And may we uh, glorify you and see you for um, all of who you are. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Matthew 17, beginning in 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I I brought him to your disciples and, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. Truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there's a lot we could chew on in this passage, and as with 
Many other passages, as we've discussed, when we work through these together, there's different avenues we could take in our discussion, but I want us to focus this morning where our passage does focus, which is on the topic of faith. That's what this passage is about. Here, we see Jesus come down the mountain from the transfiguration, and he encounters this man, desperate for his son to be healed from a demonic affliction. Now, we aren't sure how this man or the others knew this was a demonic attack. We know from the scriptures, and and even in that day, they knew that every ailment, and in fact, most ailments weren't because of direct demonic activity, but somehow it was clear that this boy and his seizures and the things he was facing, they were from demonic attack. And and the boy was brought before the remaining nine disciples. Remember, as Jesus went up the mountain, he took with him Peter, James, and John. So the other nine are back behind. The boy is brought to them, but rather than experience help and deliverance, the disciples were stumped. They were unable to help. The Gospel of Mark, typically when we read something in, in the synoptic Gospels like this, I like to stay in the passage we have because Matthew's structured this for a particular purpose and reason. But sometimes it is nice and helpful to jump into the other accounts of this. And Mark, in particular, helps us draw this scene out some. In Mark's account, he he fleshes it out. When Jesus arrives, we're told the disciples are surrounded by a great crowd. And then the scribes are there, and the scribes are arguing with them. We get this picture of of, of chaos. The disciples are overwhelmed. The scribes are pouncing. This father is desperate. This boy is writhing and all of these people are pressing in. And Jesus looks around at this mayhem and he declares, oh, faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Not the words you want to hear from Jesus. What Jesus sees in this chaos is a fundamental lack of faith on display. After Jesus heals the boy, the disciples pull Jesus aside privately. They were probably embarrassed from this event. And they ask him, why he was able to cast out this demon and they weren't. His response, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. The disciples lacked faith. A mustard seed was the tiniest seed these disciples would have known, yet Jesus said if they had faith even that size, they could move mountains, which was a common metaphor in that day for saying they could do the impossible. Their faith wasn't even the size of a mustard seed. This passage is challenging. It's challenging to them and it's challenging to us. Sometimes Jesus speaks a very comforting word and assures us of grace. And then there's sometimes where he brings truth in full force and he lays it bare, exposing our sin. This is one of those moments. 
This is a passage that's meant to make us uncomfortable. It's meant to push us. It's here to help us grow our faith and our trust and our dependence upon God. Faith can become a very vanilla word to us. Which, vanilla gets a bad rap. I like vanilla. Vanilla's a good flavor, right? It's a flavor. But we see faith written on placards and home decor. Even our largely secular society throws the word around a lot. It's treated as some kind of magic pixie dust that can solve all the problems. Just have faith. Just believe. It doesn't really matter in what. Just something. Just have faith and believe. But faith is not some throwaway term. And the object of our faith is extremely important. In fact, faith is at the very core of human existence, and it's the central rod that our relationship with God spins around. We're told in Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We're told in Romans that anything that does not come from faith is sin. We're told that the righteous shall live by faith, and we're reminded that it's by grace through faith that we have been saved. Faith then is no small matter. So when Jesus rebukes a crowd and he says, faithless generation, this is a very, very serious rebuke. So with all of that, we have to understand what the Bible, what God means by faith. So what then is faith? Well, we use a lowercase f faith all the time, and that's fine. I have faith this roof is going to stay over our heads today, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about capital F faith, the faith that we're supposed to have in the God of the universe that anchors our souls. The capital F faith can be a challenge to accurately define because it's, it's a really big concept. But I like this definition I found. It's a little wordy, but I like it. Genuine faith involves abandoning all human reliance on self-effort and placing total dependence upon God's character, his actions, and his promises as revealed in his word. Abandoning all human reliance on self-effort. And placing it all on God. That's the faith that saves. That's the faith that pleases God. That's the faith that produces righteousness. But as our passage reminds us, this faith does not come easily to weak and to sinful people. In fact, all of our sin flows out of unbelief. And so my prayer this morning is that we would all be challenged by this reality that to follow Christ... And to please God is to pursue a deep and abiding faith. To follow Christ and to please God is to pursue a deep and abiding faith. And, and, and we're going to look at four principles drawn from this passage that will help us see what marks strong faith, a pleasing faith in the eyes of God. And let me just say before we dive in, praise God for his son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Remember, what size faith does Jesus say could do the impossible? A mustard seed. 
The Lord knows that we are frail and weak. His power is great. We will have weak, we will have imperfect faith, but we're pressing forward. We're seeking to mature and grow in faith, and we thank the Lord for his grace for our deficiencies. But we do want to be challenged. We do want to be challenged this morning. So the first thing we'll look at is that faith believes God can. It should go without saying that at the most fundamental level, faith believes God exists. (laughs) Hebrews says, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So I'm absorbing that basic fact into this idea that God can. A God who can is a God who exists. So God exists. And we have lots of good reasons to know that God exists. Faith is not a silly thing. Faith is not a dumb thing. Faith is not a wishful thinking thing. Faith is a right response to all that God has revealed to us about who he is. So, to have a pleasing faith to God, we must fundamentally believe that he's there, that he exists, that he's revealed himself, triune, glorious, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But beyond that, fundamental to trusting God is believing that he is able to do that which we depend upon him for. We could believe that God exists, but if we don't believe that he has the power to do anything for us in this world or that he doesn't care to do anything for us in this world, then our faith would not get us very far. We likely wouldn't even come to him with our needs. Why would we if he can't do anything for us? Approaching God in faith means believing that he can. As as we look at the various individuals in this scene, we learn something about unbelief. Specifically in Matthew, we see the disciples and the father of this boy being highlighted. Two different struggles with unbelief but both things that need to be addressed in our hearts. In a minute, we're going to discuss the faith that rests in God's power. That's the lesson we learn from these disciples. But first, we're going to start by looking at this father as we consider a faith that believes that God can. When we look at this father, we see a man of mixed belief. We see him in some posture of faith. After all, he is bringing his son to Jesus. But what's revealed is that it is of a wavering conviction. This man has had a lifetime of caring for this boy. Surely he has prayed and had others pray for him. Surely he has sought every possible solution. And so he brings him here to Jesus We are told in Mark's account that was his intention to bring him to Jesus, but remember Jesus is up on the mountain, and so the man turns instead to his disciples. And like every other thing he has tried, they fail him. And so when he finally is here face to face with Christ, he's unsure if anything actually can help his son. We don't see it as explicitly here in Matthew, though he is certainly part of the indictment made of the generation. When he says this, Jesus' immediate immediate response is, oh, faithless generation. But in Mark's account, Mark draws out in more detail the exchange between this father and Jesus. The man says to Jesus, 
But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. This isn't an acknowledgement of what Jesus can do. We know that from how Jesus is going to respond. But it's a question, if, if you can do something, please do something. Jesus responds with a loving but needed rebuke. If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. He calls out the Father for not trusting Jesus, and in his distrust of Jesus, he's ultimately not trusting the power of God. The Father, by the grace of God, humbly receives this correction. He doesn't stomp off. He's humbled. He realizes that he isn't trusting God, and in that moment, he cries out, and many of us, I'm sure, know this verse, I believe, help my unbelief. This father approached Jesus lacking conviction. And Jesus reminds that's not how we're supposed to approach. A strong faith isn't one that says, maybe, possibly, if you can, if you could, maybe do something. A strong faith says, God, anything is possible for you. Please do X, Y, or Z. James, in his letter, says, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We're told in Hebrews that, that we're to confidently through Christ draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. This doesn't mean we have to have a perfect faith to receive from God. That's not what James is saying. It's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We're told elsewhere to have patience and compassion towards one another as we doubt. But this story and these passages are admonitions to us. We're not meant to be double-minded people. We should believe God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. And when we're weak in that belief, we cry out to God for help like this father, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And what do we see then? Jesus in compassion respond. Though there is a lack of faith here, Jesus perfectly does what we cannot. Jesus, the man, has perfect faith in the power of God. And Jesus, the divine Son of God, has perfect compassion in displaying his power. But we don't want to be people who suppose upon the grace of Christ. We don't sin so that he might forgive us. We pursue righteousness. We don't want to be settled in weak faith so that he can be gracious. We want to pursue a strong faith. And so where there's unbelief in our hearts, we want to call it out. If we're going to seek God and approach him in faith, we need to ask that he strengthen us in the conviction that what we prayed earlier, that he is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine. 
What that's saying is you can't even conceive in your mind of a request to God that he couldn't answer. It's not possible. He can do far more than you could even create within your head. A prayer that we need to pray is, Lord, help me to believe that. So we ask, is there something in your life that you truly don't believe God can help you with? Is there a prayer you think when you're honest to yourself couldn't possibly be answered? Maybe it's a loved one you've been praying for, for, for their salvation, or maybe it's a health situation you think could, could never heal. Maybe it's a relationship that could never possibly be fixed, some tendency of yours that could never change. We'll, we'll talk in a moment. We can't be sure God will answer all of our individual prayers in the way we would like him to. He has good reasons why he may not, but we can be sure that God can answer these prayers. He could do it. And we have to approach him in the strength of that conviction. And in that, then, we move to our second item. So faith believes that God can, and now faith rests in God's power. And in this now, we turn and we look at the disciples who display a different kind of unbelief, and unbelief as expressed by self-reliance. The disciples had been commissioned by Christ to go out and heal diseases and cast out demons, and we're told elsewhere that they had been doing this. This wasn't their first rodeo, yet this time, for some reason, they were unable to help this young man, and they're confused. And what we gather from this text and the other accounts is that they had fallen prey to a godless self-reliance, and in those, moment, in, in those moments, they were reminded of their utter powerlessness apart from God. They had become dependent upon themselves, and they forgot the source of the power that they had been experiencing. When I get into my car and I put my foot on the gas pedal, I know that unless something is going seriously wrong with my vehicle, I will begin to accelerate and move forward. And I do this day in and day out without problem. However, if I were for, to forget that I needed gasoline or electricity for our EV fans, if I forgot I needed gasoline to move forward, there'd be a day in the not-too-distant future where I'd turn the key and press the pedal, but I wouldn't go forward an inch. That's what these disciples were experiencing. In Mark's account, when they ask, why weren't they successful? Jesus tells them this kind of spirit cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, this is not to say that prayer should not be and was not a necessary component of all the other miracles they had worked and the demons that they had cast out. It should have been. The only way they could cast out any demons in the first place was by the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ. But that is to say that they had come up against a foe so great that their normal approach they had gotten used to was not sufficient, but required even greater faith and even greater trust in God. By saying this, Jesus was exposing that they had been coasting along forgetting who it was that was the source of their power. And in that moment of increased opposition, they were left with their lack of faith exposed 
and aware of their own deficiencies. You could think of it like this. I have a lot of public speaking experience under my belt. It can be very easy for me to coast along on those skills. Sometimes I can speak with very little preparation, especially if I feel the stakes are low and the content is familiar. I don't really need to prepare for that. But imagine if I was supposed to give a speech on public policy at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. If I approached that the same way I did speaking to you about my family, I'm going to be left looking extremely foolish. I can say with confidence my speech would be utterly (laughs) inadequate. I'd be very aware of my need for help in that moment. That's what happened to these men. God had let them come up against a situation that forced them to shake out of autopilot and remember all that they do must proceed from faith. And they can only expect anything to happen by the power and permission of God. They had fallen into an autopilot unbelief. We can do the exact same. I can do that with something like preaching. I could get up here on a Sunday and it would be possible for me to preach in a way in my own power, coasting on God-given abilities, but forgetting that He is the one who empowers and must do the work. May it never be so, though, and I pray it's never so. Faith recognizes that apart from God, we can do nothing. In the book of Colossians, Paul describes his ministry as struggling to minister with all the energy that God powerfully works within him. And in the book of Philippians, he reminds us that it's God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We even saw that mentioned in the passage we read together. Faith recognizes this. Faith admits that God is the source of all power, and faith turns to God for all power. These disciples only had any power over demons or anything else because Christ had commissioned them and God had empowered them. When he later gives them the great commission, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and what? And behold, I will be with you until the end of the age. If he weren't with us, just like the car without gas, we would not get very far. As believers, we have to fight daily to remember that it's only by the grace and power of God that we can do anything. We should be grateful, dependent people, especially do anything pleasing to him. The gospel helps to root us in this. The gospel is our anchor point for fighting unbelief. When we remember the unbelief of self-reliance especially, when we remember that it's by grace that we have been saved through faith, we remember that my abilities are insufficient to get me to heaven. Only the gracious salvation God offers through Christ can do that. Christ is the one who empowers and supplies all that I need. Without him, I could do nothing. That's what the gospel says. Through him and for him and to him and by him are all things. So we start there. Faith starts there. If you want to have faith in God, you have to start by having faith in his son for your salvation. If you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then I encourage you this morning 
to recognize your need for God's power in your life. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You are dead in your sins and apart from the regenerative work of Christ through a confession of faith and trust in Him, you will not be with Him in eternity. When we rely on our own good works to come before God, we aren't resting in God's power We're trying to do it on our own. I encourage you, I encourage all of us to humble ourselves today and recognize we aren't good enough on our own. And to the rest of us in those areas where we feel strong and and self-sufficient in this life, where we might be on autopilot in some way, let's remember it's God who has gifted and equipped for whatever we're doing. And again, be thankful if, if we believe we somehow have pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps or we've done it without the Lord, we must repent. Such arrogance is not faith that's not pleasing to God. Any skill, any ability that you have is a gracious gift from Him and empowered by Him. Thank Him for it and ask that He continue to use it. He could take that away like this. He could, he could take my ability to speak in the next moment if he wanted to. I can't rely on any skill and ability thinking it's just there. It's a gift from God. When we rely on ourselves, we are not trusting in him. So we turn to him knowing he can empower and that it's only by his power that we can overcome sin that we can walk in righteousness and purity. Faith rests in God's power. Are you struggling with some sin in your life? Believe and lean on His power. Unsure how to handle a situation, seek His wisdom and lean on His power. Feeling weak to accomplish some task, believe and lean on His power. Thinking about this last night, Jeff called me with some notes on this message and I was very tired. I felt like I just wanted to go to bed and then I was convicted. I said, I do need to work on this and God can give me the power to do it. (laughs) I needed the message to help me work on the message. Are you desperate to see someone healed or set free? Lean on his power. We're nothing without him. So faith, believe God believes God can. Faith rests on God's power. And next we're reminded that faith listens to God's word. It's clear that the disciples were struggling with unbelief. They hadn't turned to God to work the healing that was needed, but there's something else buried in here. They had neglected the word of Christ. Not only were they forgetting to lean on God's power, but they were disregarding the clear command of Christ in which he had told them to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. By by wavering in unbelief in this moment, the disciples were failing to obey the command of Christ that he had given them earlier. They weren't trusting him for the power to accomplish the task. Now, this is not to say there might never have been an occasion or some legitimate situation where God was It was not his will to work out something that they were praying for. We see that not everyone always gets saved of whatever their ailment may be, but but that's not what's going on here in this moment. This boy's lack of deliverance 
was not because these disciples had trusted what Christ had asked them to do, turned to God in faith, and yet found that his will in that moment was not to move in that way. No, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here was an excursion in unbelief. They forgot Christ. They forgot that he had called and empowered them. They doubted God and they leaned on themselves. Now, I won't labor long here on this point. We've meditated on it in a great variety of ways throughout this sermon series. But if we are being faithful to God, if we have faith in him, then we will take him at his word. We spoke at length about this last week. We must believe what he calls us to believe. We must do what he calls us to do. God said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. That means if Christ tells us that with a mustard grain sized faith, we can do the impossible, we must believe him. As we'll be reminded in just a minute again, that doesn't always mean he will do that which we ask, but we do believe him that he can, and we do ask as he's told us to ask. If Jesus says the the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, if, if he says there's those out there who are going to come to know him, we must, and I'm convicted by this, we must take him at his word and live as if that's true. Sharing the gospel regularly and broadly with those around us, fully expecting that there are many who will respond. If Jesus tells us that it's better to give than to receive, we should live generous lives, following in line with his command. If he tells us that to confess sin brings about healing and forgiveness, then we need to be humble, vulnerable, transparent people, not making excuses, not seeking out loopholes, And in doing so, expressing unbelief. We want to believe that what he says is true. And if God tells us to pray in faith for him to work, we need to pray and we need to ask. When we fail to do that which God commands, we're living in unbelief. Unbelief that his ways are best. Unbelief that he can supply what we need to accomplish Unbelief that he'll reward us for doing so. Unbelief, it can spring up in so many ways. An example from my own life. For a long time, I struggled to rest in the assurance of my salvation that has been promised me in Christ. I'd always think, yes, I know he says that, but what about this and what about that in my life? And what if I don't know this right or I don't do that right? Leaving me often paralyzed in angst. Till one day God graciously struck my heart and helped me to see the unbelief that lied beneath my wrestling. I wasn't humbly acknowledging my, my sin and my shortcomings by, by questioning my salvation. No, I was proudly refusing to believe God when he says that I had been sealed by his spirit and that neither death nor life nor anything in all of creation could separate me from him. I repented, and I have since found much joy in resting in that assurance which he has said. But I had to first recognize there was unbelief there. We must always be shining the light of the word of Christ into our hearts and asking that where there's rebellion, the Lord increase our faith and strengthen us to believe and trust him and to take him 
at his word. And finally, faith believes God can, faith rests in God's power, faith listens to Christ's word, and now faith seeks God's will. This is not an explicit part of our passage this morning, but it is a very, very important one for us to conclude with in this discussion. Some take passages like this and construct what we call name-it-and-claim-it theologies out of it. If only we had enough faith, then anything and everything that we ever willed or prayed for would come to pass. Such theology has fueled what we call the prosperity gospel and other biblical distortions. If only you had enough faith, then any illness of yours would be healed. If only you had enough faith, then you'll never go hungry or be in want. If only you had enough faith, then you'll have money abundant and provision aplenty. If only you had enough faith. Such a gospel is not a gospel of grace, but a gospel of man. Self-centered works. Such faith is not true faith, but man-centered, man-willed picture. The goal of faith is that God be glorified and that God's will be done. Not that we get everything we've ever wanted or thought we might need. And such an understanding of faith fails to take in the full biblical picture. And it's very harmful. We see Paul pray many times for deliverance from this thorn. He doesn't receive it, but not because he lacked faith, but because God wanted to teach him something else. In John 9, we read of the blind man. The disciples asked who sinned, him or his parents, to which Jesus says, neither. He was born blind that the works of God might be displayed in him. I'm sure he had prayed for healing, yet to no avail. Yet the Lord had a different time frame he was working under. We see the same with the death of Lazarus. Jesus let him die. Jesus himself, in his humanity, prayed That if there would be any other way than the cross, that it could be so. Yet nevertheless, not his will but God's be done. We can't claim Jesus didn't have enough faith. He was submitting himself to the will of the Father, even in his prayers. There can be many reasons the things we ask God to do don't play out as we'd like them to. Sometimes God doesn't move because we're operating for our own glory or seeking something explicitly outside of his will. He's gracious not to give us those things. Sometimes God doesn't move in the ways we would expect because he's working something else behind the scenes. We know from his word he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Sometimes God answers, but we just don't recognize it. And sometimes, we don't want to downplay the reality of this passage, sometimes we do fail to see the deliverance we hope for or the prayer answered or the sin conquered because of our unbelief. That is a reality. God wants us to grow in faith and dependence upon Him. Sometimes he doesn't answer 
because he wants us to see that we aren't asking in faith. We aren't trusting him. This passage is a reminder of that for us, a reminder that we need a strong and dependent faith. Again, God can answer any prayer of ours. God has the power to do more than we could ask or imagine. But that does not mean God will always do what we think would be best. We don't control him. He's working all things according to his glorious plans and purposes. And we pray that our hearts would align with that. When we seek the Lord in faith, we do so on his terms, leaving the end results up to him. Just because anything is possible through prayer does not mean everything will be accomplished on our terms. When we seek the Lord in faith, we seek him. We trust in his sovereign will. Faith is the bedrock of our life. It's a lack of faith that leads us to sin. And it is faith in the salvation that Christ offers that restores us to God and and pulls us out of sin. It's faith that gives us hope for the future. It's faith by His Spirit that empowers us to walk as He's called us to. And it's faith that helps us depend upon Him to accomplish all that He desires to accomplish through us. But we've got to remember this. Faith is not fundamentally about us. It's about Him. And a strong faith is only strong because it realizes how strong He is. That's all. Faith in God is abandoning self-reliance. A strong faith says, I'm not strong, but you are. That's why we're called to pray without ceasing. We have unceasing need for the power of God to be displayed. We have unceasing need of dependence upon him. So let's go from here, thanking Christ for his patience with us, who are so often so weak in faith. And let's ask the Lord that he might strengthen our faith for his glory and for our good. Let's believe that God can ask that he would, and let's live like what he says is true. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would strengthen our faith. Lord, we submit all things to your will. We ask that you would align our hearts with your will, that we would ask in accordance with that which is pleasing to you, which is is good and desirable, that which you are seeking to accomplish. Father, we pray that, and we just ask that you would strengthen our faith. Help us to believe you can do anything. I pray right now for those in the room here who have something in their life that they feel completely stuck in. I pray that you would crack the door of faith and hope in that area for them. That they would believe the truth that you can do far more than we can ask or imagine. Thank you, Father, that you can deliver us from any sin. Thank you, Father, that you can heal any ailment. Thank you that you can cure any sin-sick heart 
weariness, despondency, all of these things, Lord, are within your power. You can overcome our stubborn unbelief. Let us pray in faith. Let us cry out with this young man's father, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I pray that as you increase our faith, we would see and experience your movement in increased ways. We would be blown away by that which you've intended and hoped to work through us, through faith. Father, do this in us. Move in us. Let us be people who are discontent with wavering and unbelief. Let us believe your word. Let us trust your power. Let us know that you can. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Nick Kidwell, given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.